Hello out there in Radioland. Asher here. I hope this finds you well. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you already know what I'm about to say. But if you simply noticed a gaping void where two episodes of this show should have been last week, then what follows is for you. Social media has become an invaluable tool for evolution in this age. Also, far more topically focused stories are being published and filling your earbuds. I therefore chose to yield the floor to our brothers and sisters on the front lines, and our black brothers and sisters at large. May you remain safe, sane, and steadfast. Black Lives Matter. How you like them? The lady with the paper hat asked me as she poured a little more coffee into my cup. As that you say I said as a sad smile spread across her face and I looked up. She said I'd take you to be a soft-boiled man. I don't understand. I reluctantly confessed. Listen, son, she said I don't mean to upset you, but you've got to know I'm going to have to break a couple of things to make your breakfast. Just glad to see a blue morning and a yellow egg at the break of day. But you got to break them before you make them. That's what they say. But you gotta break them before you make them, that's what they say. You gotta break them before you make them, that's what they say. Hello, this is How Do You Like Your Eggs, the show for people who love to eat by people who live to cook. I'm Asher Griffith. Jake and Anna couldn't be with us today because a mad scientist shrunk them down to the size so tiny that they could ride on the backs of ants. So that's what they did. They rode off on some ants. But Alyssa Hernandez is normal size. She's founder of No Hunger Nola and an eggs alumnus. Hello, Alyssa, and welcome to How Do You Like Your Eggs. Welcome back. Good to be back. Yeah. 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 Good to be back. You got. Um, soft-boiled eggs and sourdough the last time because Jake wasn't there to cook for you. Yes. I mean, the soft-boiled eggs were on point, though. Another Aunt Size Anna shout-out there. Yeah, she does a good... She does a mean soft-boiled egg, for sure. Do you think she's boiling tiny ant eggs right now? She probably is. <laughs> what else do you eat? <laughs> you know, I get when you're that small. Definitely not grass and things. Definitely... Uh, <laughs> Sourdough bread. Tiny, tiny loaves of sourdough bread and (laughs) tiny, tiny eggs. Oh, tiny quarantine ant loaves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're back because, um, speaking of quarantine, I wanted to talk to you about some of your uh, COVID work specifically and the um, the way that, of course, your business has pivoted. Uh, since since this change yeah absolutely um so yeah pivot is the buzzword right now right Mm, yes (laughs) i've been working it in yeah 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 uh, (laughs) it was solid it was very natural thank you very very organic again um so yeah no hunger nola we uh again were able to pivot very quickly I mean, obviously, when things started going down and kind of the shutdown mandates started coming out, we have been up in in New Orleans for, you know, a little over a year now. And 
we're really plugged in with just trying to reduce food waste in the city. So that's kind of, you know, our, our bread and butter, our sourdough and butter, if you will. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we were kind of in that space already. We had the awareness. We had, we, when we started out, we were predominantly sourcing from restaurants. So we we're, you know, obviously coming from the service industry as well, pretty plugged in there. And just, you know, working in that arena, what the the awareness was obviously that there was about to be mass and mass amounts of food waste coming out of restaurants. Um, and at the same time, all of the service industry people were being laid off, you know, like left and right, you know, dozens and dozens and just friends, acquaintances, people all over the city obviously were losing their jobs. And after a few frantic days of, um, you know, brainstorming and planning and just kind of trying to figure out logistics, we put out the idea of utilizing the food waste from restaurants to put together meal kits for industry workers and and any workers really that were um, now out of that work in New Orleans. So we got some feedback from the community and we put together, we launched uh, the program, you know, we, we ended up calling it on the fly, All right. which maybe we can touch on that a little bit more later, obviously ended up being a very apropos <laughs> name, <laughs> but yeah, it was great. We ended up securing kitchen space at Liberty's Kitchen, which is like one of our first partners in the city. It's where we had our launch and they have just like such an amazing space and it ended up being perfect for social distancing as well mm-hmm. and just kind of working safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's no FEMA tent, I will say that. So we had space for about 10 volunteers to be able to safely distance. Uh, we ran the program. It was really only like two weeks. Our main concern was to address like the really immediate problem of food waste in restaurants mm-hmm. and re- recovering that. And it was great. We... So the problem was restaurants were stocked and suddenly there was no one to eat the food. And so it was all going to go bad. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So So, how did you get it? Um, So organization was like one of the, the biggest barriers that we really faced. So what we ended up doing was putting together a Google form. And just kind of putting that out into the ether and the in the interwebs and letting it circulate on social media and then any, you know, restaurant that we really did encourage also restaurants to that already had the means to be able to recover and like feed as many of their own people as possible because everybody was firing and, you know, ended you know, had mm-hmm. walk ins full of food and everything. So at the point that everybody had a few days to kind of do inventory, you know, disperse everything to their people that they could. Um, Then they were able to go in and use the form and kind of tell us what they had, when would be good for us to come pick it up. Um, And yeah, so we ended up running the program for two weeks. We had about like 10 10 to 12 restaurants slash hotels fill out the forms. We ran the program for two weeks, basically until we stopped getting a bunch of submissions and in the 10 days that we were on the ground with the program we served uh, just under 1300 meals oh great in two weeks yeah, yeah in like 10 days it was crazy <laughs> man yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of meals 
with like which coming from restaurants it's like oh that's like not that like oh it took you 10 days to do that but Mm. it's like we had no systems in place we didn't have a staff on hand we didn't have you know everything was just kind of run off of like sheer willpower and lots of black coffee i mean that's 140 covers a day yeah it's not too shabby so that's that's like a busy a pretty busy day for a small place right yeah it wasn't bad we ran it and the way it ended up it and ended up being 600 the the first week we did it and then eight almost 800 the second week so Mm. it was really the pot it it became a lot more popular over the course of the time Mm -hmm. and we ended up getting we had after the first iteration we had you know some stuff left over that was going to be held over for the next week the stuff that wasn't going to make it to the next prep cycle, we, you know, dispersed in like grocery bags to the community. And then, so with the stuff that we still had from the first iteration and then the second round of donations that we got in, you know, we were able to put together 600 or mm. 800, sorry, the second time. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was that. I mean, once it once it started kind of, the donation started slowing down, um we weren't addressing we weren't in a position to keep addressing the the immediate problem you know what i mean we mm-hmm. had done our part in that we we recovered um i probably should have put together that number before we did this but, <laughs> um let's say we had three like massive spaces in the walk in it was like a 10 foot by 12 foot space um like floor print that we filled and emptied twice so you know whatever weight calculation that might come it was a lot of fucking food yeah that's a lot (laughs) um and we ran to prep basically we prepped over the weekends with the 10 volunteers so we cooked on saturday sunday packaged everything and then did the meal distributions on mondays um and then all the time in between was just kind of you know getting the donations in from the new restaurants that were shutting down and getting to that point so Mm -hmm. that was great and then once we had dealt with that um and during that process we had been kind of connected with and um introduced to certain like mutual aid organizations that were popping up some that had been established long before us and then you know some that had been spearheaded as in in um response to the to the pandemic itself mm-hmm. so there were a few organizations we worked with so any, any anytime we had stuff left over we would get in contact we worked a lot with the gno caring collective that was a covid specific mutual aid collective and then we did a bunch of stuff with community kitchen uh familias unitas and axion mm-hmm. and so that was a way too because we were doing the meal distributions outside of liberty's kitchen Mm-hmm. um on broad and it's a little bit of a mixed bag in the area so there's there are a lot of families that were directly in the vicinity that were able to come to the distributions that were definitely in need but at the same time you have that like whole foods crowd yeah. so working with the networks that were doing the deliveries we were really able to get the food to the people that were most in need and the, and the be, most vulnerable mm-hmm. you could be a little more targeted that way yeah delivery exactly yeah that's really interesting what are you doing with no hunger nola now then are are you just like hiding in florida (laughs) i mean i am definitely hiding in florida uh currently right but 
So there's a few, and I know we talked about this on the last podcast, but I know, I mean, I don't think anybody really follows us like that. They may not, yeah. (laughs) You know, know, uh, for the new listeners. Right. (laughs) um, The plan before the pandemic um, already was to split up the company into for-profit and non-profit objectives. So we make canned goods from recovered produce. So we do pickles, preserve, fermented things. And we sell those as a premium package product, but on the back end, we do policy work and, you know, direct action type things directly addressing uh, the the hunger issues that exist in New Orleans. So the plan had already been to, we exist, we're a mission-driven for-profit. We're an L3C in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So the mission has always been the primary objective. However, the messaging gets confusing. You have too many things going on. So... The idea was to split it up. The canned goods themselves would become uh, branded as Prosper Preserve Co. Mm-hmm. And No Hunger would evolve to become the nonprofit that we do our policy work through. Um, however, in order to do that, I would also have to start a nonprofit. So yeah. you'd have to put a board together, you know, and write the bylaws and like start everything. I don't like to phrase this very negatively, but the, the reality is that before the pandemic, these problems did not have nearly the attention that they're getting now. Mm-hmm. So the one of the main um, organizations that we've been working with through the pandemic is the GNO Caring Collective um, that was spearheaded by Dan Bingler and um, really a bunch of uh, amazing, amazing community members. And Dan has done in the last like 60 days more than I could have ever dreamed of doing with no hunger on my own. Yeah. So we are at this point, essentially just kind of letting no hunger become part of the collective effort. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that GNO now has uh, office space. We have a warehouse space. We're looking at getting cold storage. We are working on, um, they they actually were already awarded a $25,000 grant from Tulane in order to buy produce from local farmers and then that produce is being dispersed to highly vulnerable members of the community through two um, parallel organizations. So Familias Unidas and then Cattail Cooks, who have both been doing amazing work through the pandemic mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we, I so, interviewed them uh, about that. Yeah, gonna, Cattail, I, Sierra uh-huh. and Grace. Yeah, I was going to yeah. um, ask, ask you if they were a part of that. Yeah, they're also that That's what they're mostly doing, acquiring, acquiring vegetables from local farmers, curating Absol- boxes. And absolutely. Delivering. Yeah, and so the the biggest part of that to me, or the, one of the you know most impactful things, is a they're not only you know identifying very vulnerable people and then deliver being or you know becoming able to deliver to them at home, but also giving back to the agricultural economy um, and being in it that they're able to purchase the produce from the farmers. Mm-hmm. So huge shout out to them! Like that's been massive, and then we've all been kind of just working together the then you know we're all in this like solidarity not charity type thing right so we're all able to share best practices and kind of loop in together and so i'm working now with cattail gno um to kind of run some of the numbers for the grant itself um (laughs) just like put my economics brain in there Mm -hmm. but so as far as the dispersal um yeah, so we're the we're gonna be able to start buying the produce this week and everything, and it's gonna be 
um, run for eight weeks. We'll be utilizing the you know twenty five thousand dollars to feed these families, and that money is all going to go directly to local farmers, which is really really amazing. So huge shout out to Cattail for making that happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. But do you, are you worried that like your um, your no hunger nola is gonna is like falling a little bit into obsolescence thanks to the fact that so many more people are making pivots like this at similarly. You know what? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I, my answer would be that I am aware that it's happening, but I'm not scared of it, because I, the entire point is to cannibalize hunger to the point that you no longer have to exist, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact that these collectives are popping up, and these mutual aid networks are popping up, and I mean, I'm just so grateful that there are so many other amazing people out there working on it and that I don't have to, you know, I can just Uh plug in and, you know, bridge whatever gaps that I'm able to. And the impact is so much larger in it that, you know, it's so much, so much more involved and wide reaching. And just, I, I mean, I've maybe had an ego moment or two with it, you know, and then, you know, for like two seconds, you're like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But then immediately on the other side of it, you're like, well, it's going to be, you know, more yeah. more impactful than you could have ever made on your own. And sure. now I also don't have to, like, do a lot of the work sure. myself. You don't have to worry about so, form, so, forming a yeah, board. Yeah, because there's a hundred great minds working right. on it already. So I just, you know, get to be one of the lesser minds yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> Cannibalizing hunger. What a concept. Perhaps I should see if I could cannibalize my absence of a budget. If you have any thoughts or suggestions about cannibalism, please keep them under your hat and head over to patreon.com slash cicada radio to become a patron. Even as little as a dollar a month monumentally helps this sidewalk-stranded, dehydrated earthworm of a production company squirm its way toward the grass. Speaking of grass, take a little hit of this. What makes a hit a hit? How does a Bruce Willis cover of a staple singer song outperform the original? And is Groove really in the heart? Or is it somewhere else? On American 100, we're going to dive into the heart of the Billboard Hot 100 completely at random and try to get to the bottom of what makes us love, hate, or just get addicted to pop songs. Featuring guest musicians and comedians, it's funny, it's informative, and just like the Hot 100 itself, a little bit weird. Hosted by me, Micah McKee, and presented by Cicada Radio, American 100 airs anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Well, um, it sounds like you're doing good work. And, you know, that's another that's another of the COVID silver linings I've been trying to I've been trying to draw out for myself and hopefully for everyone else who's who's listening. <laughs> um, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, we've been talking for about 20 minutes, so I guess I'm going to move on to the second phase of the show, which is to ask you um, questions three as we round out our time together. Okay. And they are, as these are both questions that you've been asked before, but um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> what the first one is, if you could give yourself any advice. <laughs> Not this your, one again. <laughs> yeah, your younger self, any advice, do you know what it would be? But since you did already answer that question, and speaking of the way that um, all of our lives have changed so dramatically lately. Do you think you'd, do you know what pre COVID advice you might give yourself? Yeah, I really do. <laughs> um, 
it's funny that I answered this question like, you know, two months ago or three months ago or whatever it was and that I can already have such a new answer for mm-hmm. it. But I guess the pandemic has shifted a lot of things. And this is to piggyback on a lot of the other stuff we've been talking about as far as, you know, the collective mutual aid effort and like allowing that to take over and it just being so much more powerful than anything that you can create on your own. So my advice would like definitely be chill the fuck out like you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time you know some you just you just need to feed people and it doesn't that doesn't need to be overcomplicated you know it really can be simple it really can be and uh i'm very much a person that gets so close to the problem sometimes that it's hard for me to back away and like look at that bigger picture and and you know but it's Mm -hmm. that's been a, a really awesome um humbling part of this whole experience in the pandemic for sure yeah all right question two is uh where's your favorite place to eat in new orleans you mentioned your comfort food earlier and i know that new orleans doesn't have a lot right now to offer i guess (laughs) my favorite place to eat in new orleans i'm gonna stick with my pre one of them will be my pre-COVID answer, which was Barracuda, which Still? is probably, yeah, the first place I'm going to go when this is all over. Yeah. Um, they're, they're probably still operating. They were basically count, just all counter service anyway, right? Yeah. So they were doing, um, I know that they closed down for a little bit and then they were doing like the taco kits to go, mm-hmm. which looked really cool. I will also say that I gained a new favorite restaurant uh, through the pandemic and that mm. is Mosquito Supper Club. Okay. So we did uh, there, they had a family meal go menu situation as well. And, you know, it was just one of those places we had never made it to before. And it was just a nice excuse to be able to treat ourselves one night. So we went and got a nice, a nice little spread. Yeah. And everything was amazing. We got the cookbook as well. And just the intimacy of of that food and that approach and even even through you know like the handoff and everything Mm -hmm. it was apparent in the food um obviously apparent in the cookbook so it was definitely definitely a new favorite to add on there nice cool all right good there's a third question that i've added to the lineup since i took the helm and it is uh what's your favorite story about maggots That would be your question. Sure. <laughs> I can't take full credit for it though. It was um, we the the first guest that I had on the show post COVID, post Cicada Radio's pivot to this new model. Uh-huh. She suggested that question while I floundered trying to remember the question that I was trying to ask her. She suggested that everyone has a maggot story, and so I guess I've just been trying that theory out. And so far, um, it's been very true. <laughs> has it really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe That's I'll do a compilation of just, magi- of just magic stories <laughs> for the Patreon subscribers or something. Yeah, yeah, that's a <clears throat> that's an OnlyFans <laughs> <laughs> subscription level for sure. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that your theory has been well tested, but the problem with means testing is that you always find an outlier. True and. I think I might be that outlier. I feel like I don't have a maggot story personally. I just have like 
uh, full metal jacket scenes running in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> of, you know? Uh-huh. Of, like, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio being called a maggot or whatever. Is sure, that, I can't, sure. maybe I'm getting my scenes mixed up. No, I think you're right. Yeah. You're some, like, bro military dudes. They like, definitely get... On the floor, maggot! Yeah, they <laughs> like, definitely get called maggots a lot in that... <laughs> In the first half of that movie. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, that that's gross. I should, working in food waste, probably have more maggot stories. I was expecting one from you. Than most people. I mean, I hate to disappoint you, Asher, but like not totally in this instance. Right. Well, I guess that's good because it means that you're getting to it before they do, right? Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's mission, a good sign. Mission accomplished. Done. I quit. <laughs> you can retire. <laughs> On very, very uncomfortably, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that then. Um, yeah. Thanks a whole bunch um, for coming on the show. It's yeah. good to see you again. It's good to be seen. It's really good to see you. Um, I do have one thing uh-huh. maybe we can add on. I don't know if you need to like edit it back. No, do it. We've got okay. time. Okay. So um, to tack on to just what badass women the cattail cooks ladies are and um how important it is to or you know that you know these organizations are getting funding to be able to purchase uh produce from local farmers so mm-hmm. with the evolution of the collective side of things and like prosper you know still still moving forward as a, a food recovery initiative um we have definitely taken notes from you know, all of our colleagues working in the space right now. And so we are actually um, refining that model even a little bit further and that we are going to be purchasing second strictly from local farmers as opposed to taking mm-hmm. in any donations, um, which has been, you know, there weren't a lot of people recovering excess food in uh, New Orleans prior. So, you know, it wasn't a big thing, but through the whole process, it's been really, really hard to be able to make any we I just we couldn't we couldn't make any pickles you right. know everything that came in we were like we need to feed people with this like that's no we have we've done basically zero production yeah you know since the beginning of all of that I think after actually the on the fly stuff we had like four cases of lemons left over so like we got some some preserved lemons going on yeah. but um that's basically been it but so to be able to, to use Prosper as well, um, A, to be working with all these organizations that can buy produce as a first stop for all of these farmers and make that connection and kind of, you know, feed into the, the circular food economy. But also, you know, none of these resources are unlimited. So any farmers that are, you know, dealing with excess beyond that or, you know, have seconds that, you know, aren't going to be able to be sold, things like that, um, we are going, there is we are going to, we want to be able to act as another avenue of um, economic support for them. Yeah. So that's, that's been really cool to kind of, to hone in on. Right. And that's good because there was um, a concern that was voiced by um, the cattail cooks while we were talking mm-hmm. was that uh, their efforts right now, because they're spending so much money, mm-hmm. picking up money from local farmers, like, are they going to once once this you know once the grant money runs out once this the these kinds of efforts seem to be less immediately necessary are is there going to be a big hole in the market where they used to be but right. companies like Prosper Preserve Co can then step in 
to kind of assuage that problem a little bit. There yeah, will be more, abs- um, more opportunities for those vegetables to still get to, to still get places, thanks to the fact that maybe yeah, other business will, businesses will have had a chance to make those connections and become more well established. Absolutely, um, and it's you know it's such a big point of contention right now is that these organizations are dependent on funding and there is going, we are, I mean, it's a very powerful community, you know, it is Mm -hmm. not to be fucked with. Like people are doing so much good right now and there's so much attention on closing those linkages between the farmers and the consumers and the people that are in need and that are hungry. Um, And, but not all of them are going to last forever. You know, there isn't going to be such an immediate need you know, once the economy does start to stabilize again, you know, hopefully it happens sooner than later. But so we are a small company. Um, and in the short term, we may not have the same resources as, you know, some of the, the, the funded organizations. But in the long term, we are able to a build a plan that we can work as, you know, one more resource for these farmers to be able to offload excess um, produce or seconds you know, and to be able to provide that sort of financial support. And on the other side of things, you know, post-shock, post-disaster, you have a really unique opportunity um, from a, you know, top-down level to sort of implement uh, and push through different policies and initiatives that may not necessarily have been able to garner the same sort of po- support uh, pre-pandemic as they could now. And so to be able to really approach this problem from both sides is in a kind of, you know, depressing way, We is a, a really unique opportunity that we're presented with now. And it is very exciting and just humbling, so... Yeah. Yeah. You've been listening to How Do You Like Your Eggs? I'm Asher Griffith, and this show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you all so much. Please direct any queries to louder at cicadaradio.com. Okay, until next time, loves, when you run into a racist devil and they start asking you why you keep listening to this jihado-demonic anti-white commie propaganda, you just cut them off right there and tell them, Black Lives Matter! This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.